Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Do you like to wait? Not many of us do. It's been said that faith teaches us a lot about waiting, and waiting teaches us a lot about faith. Sometimes waiting makes us weary. It's very important we regularly take inventory of ourselves to see if that's happening to us since weariness can come upon us quickly. In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah had grown weary of waiting for God, and it led to some disastrous decision-making on their part. Whether you are weary or not right now, the life lessons here are invaluable. Let's join Pastor Jim in part two of his message, When Our Faith Fails. So she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Verse 2, so Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So now God's like, he made the promise, but he's not coming through on it. Please go into my maid. If this, you're young and you don't know what that means, talk to your parents on the ride home. That should be a fun car ride home. Some versions say, sleep with my maid. I don't know how much sleeping is going on, but anyway. So some of you are just sitting and go, did she just say that? <laughs> did she just say that? Perhaps, or it may be, I shall obtain children by her. And Abram said, I can't do that. You're my wife. I can't, I can't do that. That's not what your version says? That's what Abraham's, I wish I'd have said that version says. And, and Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Let's just stop there for a second. Uh, this is one of the reasons we know that the Bible's true. Is the heroes of the Bible often look so bad. Here's the man of God. Hey, honey, just another day for the man of God. Hey, I can't have a kid. Why don't you just, why don't we have one with the, with the maidservant? Oh, okay. <laughs> so much egg on their face on the, on the heroes of the Bible. Verse 3, then Sarai, Abram's wife, second time she's called his wife. Do you think we're trying to catch something here? Took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So back in chapter 12, God said, you're going to have a son. Here we are now in chapter 15. God reminded, uh, last week we saw in chapter 15, God reminded Abraham again. And Abraham earlier in the chapter 15, the week before said, well, maybe it's going to be, you know, my right hand man. Eleazar. And, and God said, no, 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 he's going to come from your own body. And, and I think sometimes we're too sterile in our reading the Bible. Again, remember, God has actually come to them more than once and told them this is how it's going to go down. Maybe they got the baby room ready. Maybe every time they were intimate they thought, this is it. This is going to be the time when God's going to come through. But still, 
no baby. You see, when we read the scripture, I think it's important, and I really believe that God puts a lot of this stuff in there so we feel the pain and the disappointment of the people we're reading about. Why? So we know that, that, that God feels our pain and our disappointment. And so we also learn how to bring our, our pain and disappointment to God, but we also learn how to feel the disappointment of others to God. And so really, it's, it's so important when we read our Bibles that we're not just like, oh, yeah, they couldn't have kids, that we stop and we go, oh, man, what would that be like waiting for 10 years on the promises of God? And then all of a sudden you think, oh, God, I've been waiting for you too. What, what's going to happen? So she has an idea, Sarah has an idea, common in the ancient world, bizarre to us, but your maidservant can have the baby for you and the baby will be yours. What, what is this? What is this in the life of a person of faith? I, I call this actually, you know, there's, of course, customs. And, you know, we're, we always have to remember just because something is legal doesn't make it right. We're going to be constantly challenged with that as we go forward in our culture. So just because something is legal doesn't make it right. But for what, it is, what is it for a follower of Jesus when they're doing something that they clearly know is not right? I call it the logic of pain. I mean, no doubt, Abram had told Sarai, his wife, the Lord told me that, that our son is going to come from my own body. So she figures a way that that can happen. This, can, this is how it can come from, come from your own body. And how, how they remind us of Adam and Eve, uh, sometimes temptation comes from the people that are closest to us. Sometimes the advice of people you know who love you is the worst advice you will ever get in your life. And the only way to, to avoid such things is to be plugged into the word of God and to be hearing the voice of the Lord, especially thing, when things are really tough in your life. Now, not to mention, this is, this is a really complex thing for a follower of Jesus. And even if you've been a follower a long time, you have to admit, this is, a, this is a complexity that's not always as easy as we think. Let's put the bizarreness for us culturally aside, for us of what they're doing. But it's hard to know sometimes, oftentimes, whether faith should act or wait. Am I supposed to do something now or am I supposed to wait but I can tell you a principle that I've learned the hard way that self-effort without faith is not good. And sometimes you proceed forward in faith and you feel like it doesn't work out, but, but at least you can say to God, I, I, I really thought, God, that this was what you wanted me to do. But self-effort without faith is, is not good. But remember, we've talked about this already before, that if we want something badly enough, the evil one will come along with shortcuts. And not only are they shortcuts, but they're usually very, very logical. He tried the same thing. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus in the wilderness. And right now, I think in our world, we're seeing 
him tempt followers of Jesus in their fatigue. It's easy to compromise. It's easy to get out of our spiritual disciplines. It's easy to forget about the things the Lord has told us that are the the conveyors of grace to us, the gathering of God's people, the study of God's word, prayer, being connected with other Christians. easy to forget those things. (laughs) My friends, I can't say this too many times, but impatience that destroys or produces a distrust in God will destroy your soul. Let me say that again. Impatience that produces distrust in God will destroy your soul. Now, I know some of you, if you're talking to your friends, you want to jump in. You're like, oh, oh, oh. Let me get to them. I I I want to just jump in and say, I understand you have been waiting 10 years And in some ways, maybe you can relate to her patience running out. But some of you right now, maybe you want to reach on the side of your seat and grab the seatbelts and strap in because they've been waiting 10 years, right? They're going to wait another 15. (laughs) They think they're at the point where they can't wait any longer, and they're not even at the halfway point. Maybe that's a word for us today. You know, the television's telling us maybe we've passed the halfway point, but maybe we haven't. Who knows? Be in it for the long haul. Be faithful where you are. You can take this to the bank. Weariness or waiting on the Lord will weary you. It will weary you unless you are We did a study on Ephesians 3.16, strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in the inner man. If you're not strengthened in the inner man, in the inner woman, by the word of God and the Holy Spirit, waiting on God will weary you. Interesting thing about faith and waiting. Faith teaches us how to wait. And waiting teaches us a lot about faith. It's interesting how they work together. I'm not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination. The opposite is what they do, and the worst thing you and I can do, try and help God out. Have any of you ever tried to help God out? Yeah, yeah, a couple of you will admit it. The rest of you just hung your heads down in shame. Let me ask you, how'd that go for you? How'd that go for you? I'm not ashamed to admit, major backfire, right? (laughs) Some people are like, "Eh, bad, really bad. You see, it's a basic principle. God's will has to be done God's way. It's a basic principle. And when we try and help God out, when when we defer to the logic of pain, when we let our feelings trump the word of God, we end up in that bad place. Well, let's see how it works for them. Verse 4, so he went into Hagar, that's so Abraham, and she conceived. So they had intimacy and 
she can see. Most Bible scholars think it was only one time. Only one time. Young people, please hear me. Right now, all the parents are like elbowing their kids who are watching online right now. Listen, listen. It only takes one time. Some of you say, oh, come on now, Pastor Jim. Now you're really getting, get off the soapbox, would you? How many of you have ever heard of a wedding night baby? A couple of you. Some of you are like, well, I never really heard that. How many of you know a wedding night baby? A couple of you. How many of you know me? <laughs> I am a wedding night baby. <laughs> I was born nine months and one day from my parents' wedding day. Same thing over there. Same thing over there. Yeah, that, that's what it is. And here's another thing that's easy for us to trap, to fall into. They come up with this idea. It's not, it's not God's will done God's way. They come up with their idea. They're going to help God out, and it works, so they think God must be cool with it. <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that at all. It says, okay, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So now the woman she works for, she hates. Then Sarai said to Abraham, or Abram, my wrong. Now that's a very tame word. The word is actually Hamas. That word sounds familiar to you, right? Hamas means violence or outrage. My Hamas be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. What a coward! And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she, Hagar, fled from her presence. So she takes off. She's pregnant. She's got Abraham's baby, and she takes off in her belly, and she takes off. Now, this is where we have to be really careful. People will say stuff like this to you. I can't believe the Bible teaches this stuff. This is why the Bible is a ridiculous book, and this is why I want no part of it. The Bible's not teaching that this is okay. The Bible is recording it. Some of us are old enough to remember when the news used to record what happened. You're slowly getting that. <laughs> Some of us are old enough to remember that. The Bible records history, doesn't endorse it. And a lot of times you say, well, it doesn't really speak against it. And this is what I will tell people who say that. Look at the results. <laughs> the Bible is assuming we're intelligent enough to go, yeah, that didn't go so well. So now Hagar looks down on Sarai, wimpy Abraham, just plays dumb. Honey, I was just following orders. I was just doing what you wanted. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy birthday. Sarai gets harsh. And let's be honest, this is all of us when we stop trusting God. And until we see it, Things stay the same, or usually they will begin to get worse. Sometimes they look like they're going okay until they start to unravel. 
So they start to blame each other. Isn't that interesting? They're all blaming each other. How incredibly human. You know, Adam eats the fruit and he says to God, it's the woman you gave me. But it's your fault, God. It's her fault and it's your fault. It's anything but my fault. That's the way humans are. We blame everything on everybody else. You ever notice that? How many of you know I have a cat? Most everybody knows I have a cat. We go on outreaches and people heard me on the radio. They're like, how's your cat doing, man? I'm like that beast. He thinks he's married to Pam. I'm always like, dude, I was here first. So the previous cat, he came with the marriage, not you. So I say to my cat. But I got to tell you one thing where my cat, the one thing my cat has my respect on. The other day I went into the kitchen. He knows he's not supposed to be up on the counter. And I look at him and he looks back at me. And he's like, what's up with you? <laughs> he doesn't blame anybody. He takes total ownership. You don't like it? Lump it. <laughs> right? I do what I want around this place. Mom's not here. What do you think she's going to believe? You or me? <laughs> right? I, I, seriously, he just stares me down. I respect him for that. We read that Hagar, she fled from her presence or fled from where they were living. That's another thing we do. Like Adam, we, we, we run and we hide from God. We hide from our problems. And as, we see, as we'll see, she's returning to Egypt, the place of sin and slavery. And, and that always looks so good, doesn't it? When we come up with these logical ways to do things, to run away, or I'm going to do this. And we always imagine it. It's always like Shangri-La. You know, we, we think we're going to go to the place where there's no problems and everything will be great all the time. I'll be just sitting at the pool and somebody will bring me a drink and a snack and hand me a large check so I can stay next week at the place too. Yet choosing what looks good and seems logical that forgets the promises of God will lead us to disaster. Now, we do believe the Bible writer of the first five books of the Bible, where in the first book is, is Moses. And boy, I'm, I'd imagine he's recording this. Now, obviously, he had gotten the story that was passed down. But, but what a warning to his people to be in God's will and to leave Egypt behind. If you know the story, they were, they were in Egypt. They were, oh, God, get us out of this place. Then they went out into the wilderness and like, oh God, bring us back to Egypt. Because that's us. We're just never happy, are we? Never, never really satisfied. See, they had to leave Egypt behind, and because they didn't, their faith failed. You know, as the old expression goes, it took God one night to get them out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. But what happens next is unexpected, verse 7. And now the angel of the Lord. Let's stop right there. Usually when we see that in the Bible, most scholars will tell you that is what we call a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So Jesus shows up because he's eternal 2,000 years before he's born in a manger. Now the angel of the Lord, and there's actually a little proof of that in this text. We'll see that in a minute. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur, so she's going back to Egypt. And he, the angel of the Lord, said to her, Hagar, so he knows her name. 
Sarai's maid, Hagar, Sarai's maid, he knows where she works and who she works for. Where have you come from and where are you going? Now, let's stop for a second. If he knows all this other stuff, why is he asking that question? God asks questions of us, not because he wants to know, but because he wants us to think these things through, to stop, to think, to process, to pray. She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Such grace and mercy. She's running away from the promises of God made to Abraham. You leave Abraham like Lot did. Remember we said that with Lot? You leave Abraham, you leave the promises of God. You leave Jesus, you leave the promises of God. And what happens? Jesus is probably sitting there in heaven saying to his father, well, listen, Dad, if, if Abram's not going to go after her, I am. I understand he's afraid of his wife, but we got we to do something. And so like Abraham and Sarai, like Adam and Eve, like you and I, Hagar's sin was not the end of the story. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. Your sin is not the end of the story. Maybe your sin is just what God is going to use for a new beginning. Notice the evangelistic lesson that Jesus is teaching us here. Graciously point out the sin to Hagar. And then he shows her the way home. You know, there's not a time I've ever stepped into this pulpit or gone anywhere to speak. And even if I'm just talking into a TV camera, where I've ever for a minute thought there was not someone listening that needed to have their sin pointed out to them and to be shown the way home. It has never, ever occurred to me that that might be the case. Sometimes people will meet me after the service and they'll say, you know, Pastor Jim, sometimes the way you talk, you talk like you don't think everybody who attends our church is a Christian. I always go, is that a statement or a question? <laughs> and, and, and we have different ways of messages going out. If people are just they want to take a CD, we give them free CDs. If that's the way they still listen to things and stuff like that, I'm not against that. We'll buy people a CD player if you know somebody who needs that stuff. We'll send them. We have a, a mailing list. We send Whatever we have to do, because I'm always convinced that there are people who need to know the way home, and they don't know the person who's going to take them there. But here's the problem for most of us. We, we think, I don't really want to talk to them about their sin. They, they might feel bad about themselves. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 36, the Lord promised that he would cleanse people from their sins, give them a new heart, and the Holy Spirit. That people who were willing to be, wanted to be his people, he would do that for them. Cleanse them from their sins. Give them a new heart. Give them the Holy Spirit. 
Now, some of you, if you've been around the Bible, you're like, I know all that, Pastor Jim. We've talked about that ver- those verses many times. But listen to what Ezekiel writes, the Lord speaking in Ezekiel 36, 31. And the Lord says, then you will remember your evil deeds and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. In other words, part of coming to faith in Christ, part of the pathway to heaven is to come to the point in time where there's things about the way you and I live and think that we just hate. This is not self-hatred. I don't think this is self-hatred. I think this is hatred of our sin and our sin nature. And it is part of the pathway on the way to wholeness. It is part of the pathway to heaven. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Change by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Change by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.